Geeks and Nerds presents Publishing Insider. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. You're listening to the new Publishing Insider spin-off series where we talk to publishing insiders to give you an in-depth insight into the secret business of publishing. We are your hosts for this series, Danny V and author Adrian Beck. Hi, Danny. I'm so excited. This is going to be the best episode of the whole Publishing Insider series uh, because we've talked to publishers and we've talked to agents and we've talked to other industry experts, but we thought it was high time to hear an author's perspective on the industry. No pressure whatsoever. (laughs) No pressure. That's right. We turn directly to the legendary Jackie French AM. Jackie has been good enough to come on the standard Words and Nerds podcast a number of times, but this Publishing Insider episode will be a little different. Everyone knows that Jackie French is hugely successful. She's a historian, ecologist, honorary wombat. Plus, she was the Australian Children's Laureate and the 2015 Senior Australian of the Year. So we know that's very, very impressive, Adrian. Absolutely. Jackie has written over 200 books, some of which have sold millions of copies, and she's won over 60 awards in Australia and internationally. It's a most impressive career so far, and we hope to find out many of the lessons Jackie has learned along the way. Welcome to Publishing Insider, Jackie French. This is where I have to admit um, it was all an accident. I really didn't mean to do it. Um, (laughs) I grew up in a family of storytellers. Um, my, I lived with my great-grandmother, then my grandmother, my father would actually sing me the kind of song which was a story and recite poetry at night. Um, story was extraordinarily important. History was incredibly important. Um, truth was extraordinarily important and integrity. But right from the beginning, I was told, no, you can't be a writer. Um, no one can make a living being a writer in Australia. Think of something else to do when you leave school. Um, writing for publication is simply a waste of time. And I believed it. I believed it absolutely, utterly. Um, And nothing I was told um, really changed my mind. Though I do have to admit that from about the age of 18 onwards, um, I vanished out of the city. Our local library only had 1930s thrillers and Milton Boone. So I really knew nothing about what was even being published in Australia. But I was broke. Um, I was in my early 30s. Um, My marriage had broken up, there was a drought, I had a baby, I needed $144 to register my car, and I could think of no other way of making the money than send off a story. And to my shock, within three weeks, I had three regular, four regular columns, and the book had been accepted. Now, I knew so little about publishing. I'd simply gone to the post office, um, looked up Pifa Publishers. The first one was Ava Angus and Robertson, so I sent it off to them, um, being quite prepared to go down to Z if I had to. Um, I thought I was writing a novel for adults that had a young protagonist. Um, they assumed it was a book for young people. That was Rainstones. Um, I heard afterwards that they picked it out of the pile because it was the messiest, worst spelt manuscript they had ever seen. They took it into the office. And the editor started to read it aloud so everyone could laugh at the world's worst writing. Mm. And she read the first paragraph and she read the second paragraph. And then all that afternoon, she read the entire book aloud to everyone, went back into her office, rang me up and offered me um, $600, I think it was, to, to publish it. And I only needed $144.47 to register my car. Um, suddenly, I was earning a living as a writer and a far better living than I'd ever made before. Admittedly, I'd never made much for a living before anyway. Um, these were the days when women didn't get equal pay. So I never, I never had been actually earning vast amounts of money. But nonetheless, suddenly, within a three-week period, I was earning a living as a writer. Now... The messiness wasn't my fault. The messiness was the wombat's fault. Um, I lived with a wombat. I was an old typewriter I found at the dump. The wombat used to leave her droppings on it. After about three months of wombat droppings on the keyboard, the letter E was soft and squishy. So I had to write the entire book 
um, putting in E in Byro. I'm also dyslexic, so my spelling, shall we say, is actually rather original. And I think the paper was probably very yellow and silverfish eaten as well and rather old, so I can see why they picked it out. But this is not the way you are supposed to go into publishing, um, and certainly not the way that people go into publishing now. Um, the story of my column in the Canberra Times was even more outrageous. The sub-editor picked it up. Um, decided they didn't want a story about kids and guy birds in the national newspaper, threw it in the waste paper basket. The editor came along, sat on the sub-editor's desk. It was a hot day. He accidentally kicked over the waste paper basket, stuffed everything in, kept my story out to fan himself. And as he was fanning himself, he started to read the story. And then he rang me up and said, could I please do another one? And I did another one. And he rang me up and said, could I do another one? And I gave him another one. And after that, he offered me the back page of the Sunday Canberra Times My to goodness. write a column. When are you turning um, your life into a book, Jackie? Possibly because parts of it aren't quite believable. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, as well, part of my life um, is not mine to tell, large parts of it aren't mine to tell. That's one of the things you can actually do as a biographer. Um, when I write history, I make sure everyone is safely dead. And that's not just um, so they don't sue me for defamation. Hmm. Um, it really is because everyone has actually got a right to their own story. Everyone's got a right to tell their own story, um, to actually interpret their own story. Writing my own life would mean taking the stories of the people I love and giving them from my point of view. Um, possibly one day I will do it. Um, certainly I've actually kept diary entries and things like that. Someone else might like to do it after my death, um, but I don't think I will ever do it. Wow. Well, hopefully someone does. It would be quite a story to tell, clearly. So what an amazing story, the Jackie French story. Uh, it's probably a little bit... A little bit unusual <laughs> compared to how many other people get into uh, this industry. Um, but uh, we thought what I... we might do, Jackie, is uh, is ask you all about the industry in general, and you obviously uh, a wealth of information. Um, we've basically called this what I, this episode what I know now that I wish I knew then. And I'm wondering, Jackie, is straight off the bat, is there something back then when you were struggling to pay for the car? Is there something that immediately comes to mind that you wish you knew then? If I'd known more about publishing, I wouldn't have dared to send it in. I thought my spelling had magically improved. Um, I thought, as I said, I was writing um, a book for adults, not for young people. Um, it was shortlisted for the CBCA Award, the New South Wales Premier's Award. And I just thought, oh, most books get shortlisted for awards like that. Oh, right, okay. Um, I, I approached it with absolute and complete innocence. And when it was shortlisted for the awards and HarperCollins said, we would love to publish anything you write, um, I took them absolutely literally. I thought, okay, right, I can write whatever I want to. Uh, <laughs> basically, that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. But this sounds as though it is not a relevant story. In fact, it is extraordinarily relevant. First of all, when I said I didn't ever want to be a writer, I was still writing and rewriting and rewriting. I've always been a storyteller. I kept on writing, even though it was only for my own pleasure. Also, in the few weeks when I wrote that book and those articles, when you have got a baby, when you know you desperately need your car to be able to take him to the doctor um, next time he falls out of a tree, um, I turned myself from an amateur to a professional. And that, I think, is the most important lesson for any writer. An amateur writes for themselves. I wrote because I loved words. I loved stories. I played with words. I overwrote extraordinarily. Um, I had lovely little bits of poetic things here, there, and everywhere and scattered them through. It was entirely for myself. In those three weeks, I had to think, what is going to get a reader to read this? 
that first line? Why are they going to read past the first line? Why are they going to keep turning the pages? No one turns pages because of above the imagery. No one ever says, oh, wasn't that another image? I'll turn the page and find another image. <laughs> we read books because we get involved in the universe and we would rather be in that universe than the one that we were in before. That's why we keep turning the pages of a book. And I knew that. Um, I knew that as a reader, not as a writer. And I knew in those three weeks I had to change from being an amateur to a writer, to stop writing for myself. And, look, I still do occasionally write for myself. Um, I write poems. In fact, I've even written the old opera. Um, and also actually a musical based on the life of Mary McClurk, which I think probably should never see the light of day. But that was, that was just for me. Um, maybe one day the world will be, will be ready for that one. Um, I wrote that actually the night after surgery. Um, pain relief doesn't work on me. I couldn't sleep. So um, to distract myself from, um, from the pain, I decided to write the musical instead. Um, okay, get back to the nitty gritty. So the first thing you need to do as a writer is not fall in love with words, not fall in love with images, not fall in love with your characters. You have to write purely for the reader. Having said that, if you're not in love with the characters, if you're not fa fascinated with it, um, if this is not a universe you can see even more clearly than the world around you and completely lose yourself in, if you are not a good daydreamer, you are not going to be a good writer. And this is the secret, in fact, that they often don't tell you at writing conferences, nor will publishers tell you this because it's too hard to accept. Most people will never become professional writers. Most manuscripts that the editors look at, um, they try to find a polite way of saying, um, please don't ever write anything again and do not send it to a publisher. Um, yes, it is possible to be a full-time writer in Australia. It's possible to be a barrister in Australia. It's possible to be a neurosurgeon in Australia. But we accept that there are only going to be a few of those because you need to be very good indeed. Um, you need to be born with intelligence. You need to be born with the talent. You need to be born with the absolute dedication to keep working at your craft year after year after year. If it takes six years to be a doctor, it takes at least that long to learn to be a writer, though the earlier you start, the better. Luckily, they won't give you a bone saw to experiment with when you're <laughs> 10. Um, but nonetheless, at 10, you can start learning to be a professional writer. But that is actually the hard truth. Um, so many um, writing courses are there, of course, to encourage people to come and do more writing courses. They're not going to say, I'm sorry. I really don't think that you will ever be a professional writer. But don't stop writing. Um, just as I didn't stop writing in all of those years, I never thought I was going to be a professional writer. Um, because the things that you write will be loved by your family. They may very well be loved by posterity. Um, looking back at what someone um, has written way back then. Um, don't, don't stop writing. Um, writing is possibly the most extraordinarily exquisite daydream, the most perfect daydream you can come up with. Humans are a daydreaming species. And when you write, you are perfecting that daydream. Um, write for yourself, if not for anyone else. Never be ashamed of writing for yourself and the sheer, the sheer joy of writing for yourself. Mm. Gosh, so so much good advice. I could just listen to Jackie French talk for hours on end. It's just, it's so inspiring, Jackie, listening to you talk. Um, we're kind of we're zeroing in on the pre-publishing phase here, I guess, talking about uh, uh, when you're coming up with ideas and when you're trying to get them somewhere. What advice would you give to authors who have done all the daydreaming and they feel like they've actually got something here that might that might actually touch some readers um okay. how do you get that foot in the door I, I, or what would you suggest to, to get to publishers 
Okay. First of all, um, I will tell you a story. In World War II, in 1942, in desperation, um, military intelligence organized all sorts of little groups to try and find some way to win the war with overwhelming odds. And one of those groups was composed of writers, including Graham Greene. And at the end of the war, Winston Churchill said that 3% of those ideas probably helped win the war. But if they'd taken the other 97%, the war would have been over by Christmas and they would have lost. <laughs> um, it's the same um, with ideas. I'm always coming up with ideas. I've actually sent two ideas to my long-suffering editor, neither of which were going to work, as she pointed out. They're going to be very <laughs> expensive to produce and with a very, very small audience. These are not viable. Um, Lisa is wonderful. She is. She knows that she doesn't actually have to be capful and she can actually just say no or cost too much um, or no way or what have you. Um, I come up people with say no to Jackie French, 200 books in. When you come up with um, two ideas a day, um, they are, <laughs> all your ideas are not going to be good ideas. Um, they're also too not necessarily going to be publishable ideas. Um, they may be completely brilliant books. Actually, a friend of mine has written um, extraordinary scholarly book um, about um, women in Islam. Um, it is the major book on the subject. It sells maybe three or 400 copies a year. It's been in print for about 20 years. It is a brilliant, absolutely brilliant book, but no major publisher would ever publish that book despite its quality. Mm. So when you are writing a book, um, it's not enough for it to be brilliant. Mm. It has to be saleable um, and it also has to be marketable so that there aren't another six books like it. And also design. Um, if you write a book which is this big, it's going to be very, very expensive to produce. Mm. So publishers would prefer, please don't go over 140,000 words. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we're going to have to do very expensive binding. Um, books which need beautiful artwork wonderful colour separation. Um, that's not just expensive. The quality of the paper is expensive. The quality of the binding is expensive. The quality of keeping silverfish away from it, <laughs> silverfish love good quality paper, is enormous. Um, so um, write books that can be produced cheaply. Yes, a beautiful, expensive edition to begin with. Um, maybe a beautiful 10-year edition or 50-year edition. Yes but write books which can also be produced very, very, very cheaply so everyone can afford to buy them or libraries can stock them and people can have access to them. Um, having said that, write the books that are nibbling at the back of your neck and you desperately want to write. Um, yes, I have written probably about 260 books. They're not all in print. The books that I have desperately wanted to write are, in fact, the ones that have been the most successful. Um, the ones that publishers have suggested I write, and I've written for money, um, haven't been. Unfortunately, if one publisher is looking for more of what sold brilliantly last year, every publisher is looking for more of what sold brilliantly last year. Um, a heck of a lot of mediocre writers are thinking, ah, this sells, therefore we are actually going to have a vampire zombie um, <laughs> 96 sexual position um, book and we will come out with it. And they, they wonder why the publishers don't accept it. Um, it's secondhand ideas. Um, write your own book. Um, don't look at what is being published, except to make sure that no one has used the same title. Um, I remember when Morris Geitzman and I, in fact twice, have come up with books set in exactly the same period with exactly the same theme um, within about a month of each other. If someone reads a book about a subject or a period and they love it, they are more likely to actually pick up another one. Writers actually don't really compete with each other. Um, the people you really don't want are bad writers boring writers, writers that turn people off reading, uh, brilliant, brilliant writers, fascinating writers, writers that can actually entice the reader and say, I want another book, I want another book, I want it now. 
those don't compete with you. Those, those are the colleagues um, who, are, who are actually working with you to create readers. I love all of that. So we're talking about how then you convert all this into a deal. So you've got your saleable book that's not too expensive. You've got your brilliant idea. You've got the passionate idea. And how do you then pitch it, convert to a publishing deal and what happens then? You look up the website, you find out when the publisher has got their pitch day. Most publishers have got one pitch day a month. Then you do a synopsis of your book a very short synopsis. Um, you don't talk about yourself unless you happen to be um, the King of Ruritania or the Duchess of Windsor or something like that. Um, or um, unless you're really famous, don't bother, um, do not send a covering letter from your psychiatrist. Um, they really don't want to know about you unless you are savable. Um, write a synopsis of your book then realise you are going to have to sell this to... So that goes to editorial. Is this a fascinating idea that they actually want to read? Then you would um, also do it for marketing. How can this book be marketed? What books that are similar but not too similar have done well? Are there any books that are going to really compete against this book? So you have to get marketing and give them marketing angles. Who can this be angled to? Um, then you'll do a paragraph about who the book is targeted for. Um, make sure you know who your audience is. Are you writing for one to three-year-olds, three to six-year-olds, um, eight to ten-year-olds? What genre are you writing in? Or is this preferably a cross-genre um, where it's going to be in several places in, in the bookshop? So make it very easy for them to actually think, okay, this is how it can be marketed. This is who it is going to be marketed to. Um, and that's what they want, um, a marketing plan, a summary of what it is um, and why people are going to want to read it. Apart from that, um, make sure that your first paragraph is extraordinary. You've got seven seconds. <laughs> Every new author has seven seconds. Um, the editor will pick up every manuscript they get and they will give it seven, you can time it. Um, they'll give it seven seconds and if it entrances them for seven seconds, they'll keep reading. And you get 14 um, seconds. Yeah, and then you need seven by seven. But look at people in a bookshop, people who will pick up a book in a bookshop, time them. The, the median time is seven seconds. Wow. If they give you a book more than seven seconds and then put it back on the shelf, they're almost certainly going to come back again. Mm. You've got seven seconds to capture the reader or the editor. So make sure that the seven seconds um, really counts. Um, that first page has to be entrancing. I don't like books with unhappy endings. I think that is cheating with the emotion by actually making people think I'm so depressed, I'm so depressed, I'm so happy. If a book can make people cry with, with joy, happiness, transcendence, then um, moving them with, with, with a theme or something they've realised about the world, that they see the world with a clarity they never had before and they are so moved they have tears in their eyes. That's what you want. Yeah. That's exactly what you want. Um, but you don't want readers who feel like putting their That's too just, yeah. Mm. I'm going to go to the bookshop on the weekend with my stopwatch and I'm going to do some reader stalking and see if we get to the seven seconds. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jackie, if we if we look at the uh, the business side of it, let's say you, you've come up with this an, an amazing story. You have actually come up with an ending, which isn't cheating, uh, and, and you've managed to keep them... <laughs> Keep them hooked for at least 14 seconds, let's say, and you happen to get a deal. I mean, sh should you should you uh, take the first deal that ever comes to you uh, or should you try and get an agent or, you know, the business side of things? And what sort of royalties should be you be expecting? Like uh, when the business side of it comes into play, it can be pretty confusing. The best advice I was ever given was by Robin Wallace Crabb when I published my first book. Um, most agents aren't going to want you until you have proved you don't need an agent, that your book is going to sell anyway. Yeah. Um, so unless you've actually known an agent 
or you've got this incredibly good pitch that will capture them, you're probably not going to get an agent till you don't need an agent. Um, his advice was not to get an agent, but to stay with the same publisher all through my publishing life. Really? He said the agent's job is to get you the biggest possible advance because they will get a percentage of it. But he said if, the, if your publisher knows that they're going to get your next book and your next book and your next book, then they're going to put more into marketing you. They're going to keep your backlist in print. I can't emphasise enough that if you want to make a living as a writer, you are probably going to make it from your backlist. The mm -hmm. books that you wrote, three years in print. Now, they may not be bringing a lot of money in. I get an awful lot of deposits of $11.50 for the Brazilian Braille royalties <laughs> of a book I wrote 20 years ago. But that, that actually adds up. It's your backlist. So stay with the publisher. If you stay with the same publisher, they will have a vested interest in organising your career and working out what books will be best for your profile. Um, I've always got three or four books I'd like to write, but with HarperCollins, we work out which books are going to balance best. So we don't have a book about the same subject, um, two years in a row, etc. Um, you become a partner with the publisher. Um, it is also an extremely good idea um, to learn defamation and copyright and some contract law. Um, I've never asked a publisher for a change in the contract that they haven't given me. Um, publishers, and in fact, several times, um, I've noticed mistakes in the contract where um, and brought it to their attention and said, okay, wait a minute, you're doing yourself out of this or what have you. Um, learning a bit of contract law is a very, very good idea. Defamation, blasphemy, obscenity, all of those things are, are useful. Um, I'm always amazed how few writers actually read their contracts and evaluate it and know what their rights are and what their rights aren't. Um, I never assign my rights away forever. I ask for them to be reverted. If a book is out of print, um, I can ask them to be reverted. Um, I've never, that's not true. I did it once and then they said, oh, hadn't realised that was out of print. And now they're um, bringing it back into print again. You've asked for it to be reverted and that's uh, prompted them to bring it back into print. Yes, I had an offer from, um, well, in fact, two US publishing companies who'd noticed it was, the American edition was out of print and they asked if um, they, they could publish it. I mentioned it to Australia and they thought, okay, they, they will now publish it under the HarperCollins 361. So the Australian edition will now be available in the USA, um, which is um, far better for, for all of us. Um, but the other thing that I don't do is I don't ask for large royal um, advances. Um, my best example for that is an author who I won't name because he may be embarrassed. Um, his first two books sold extremely well and he got this brilliant advance for um, they printed 120,000 of his books. Wow. Um, thinking, right, yeah, just thinking, wow, this is going to be really, really, really big. Um, it only sold 36,000 and he struggled for years to get a publishing contract after that because they had made an enormous cost on his book. Instead of thinking, hey, wow, he sold 36,000 copies. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Sign him up. Sign him up again. This is, this is great. But no. Um, so I don't ask for large advances. Um, my feeling is I would rather have, well, you never have a regular income as a writer, but I would rather know that when book, I'm going to get the money from the books that have sold, not from the books that we hope are going to sell, sell but maybe pulped. It's also worth remembering in the publishing industry that there are three kinds of books. One is, say, um, The Sex Life of a Cricketer. Um, that will be the book that comes out for Christmas. Um, yep. They will print 100,000 copies of it. 
It will sell 97,000 copies before Christmas and it will be remainded by mid-January and it will never, ever, ever appear again. Um, that's it. It was this year's Christmas book, um, bestseller, and, and it's gone. Um, then there are mediocre or vaguely good books which will sell for a few years and then they will vanish. And then there will be books that somehow capture a shred of magic. And if any of us knew what it was, we would be writing bestseller after bestseller. Yeah. But somehow there are some books which you just know are going to give for decades or possibly even as long as humanity is using words. <laughs> the stories are going to possibly be retold in different ways. Um, but just like Shakespeare, they will they will remain century after century after century after century. Mm. Um, which which book are you going to write? It's often the the mediocre ones are the ones that need an enormous amount of of, of selling and marketing. Um, they're the ones that people have to be persuaded to buy. Mm -hmm. uh, most of my books, I've had a very few books, have actually come out and immediately gone on to the bestseller list. But most of my books um, end up selling more books every year, um, like A Waltz for Matilda. A Waltz Matilda didn't sell very many in the first year. Every year since that book has come out, more of that book have been sold. Um, it's gradually building up a readership year after year, decade after decade, that book and that series are, are building up a readership. You never know if a book is successful um, for about the first three or five years. And even then, I've had books which have been um, out of print, like Dancing with Bent Hall, and suddenly someone discovered it. And suddenly there was this um, major demand for it and, and it sells extremely well. Mm. Um, but it vanished for about ten years before before it um, before it emerged again. Wow, that's just it's so incredible! All of that, isn't it? Uh, I, I want to ask. We'll just move on briefly to the craft of writing. I mean, we've spoken about the craft before. Well, we've had a lot of questions from listeners um, about the craft of writing, and I think a lot of people, Jackie, are interested in how. I mean, I know you come up with two ideas every day, but how do you manage <laughs> multiple storylines and multiple books? Because you're often writing multiple books at once, aren't you? Because the last time I spoke to you, you said some books take ten years to write because of the research involved, and then because you write across genres how do you balance all these stories in your head or is that just the way you're built how do you know when you go into the kitchen or the bathroom which room you're in um you look around and you immediately know this is the kitchen this is the bathroom well, I hope you do anyway. um, this um it's the same when you write a book if your concept of the universe isn't strong enough to know as soon as you step into it exactly who is who and where it is and what they would do and why they wouldn't do it, then this isn't strong enough. But I only actually write one book at a time. I'm thinking about other books. I'm collecting bits of research. Um, things are sort of vaguely going around, but they haven't quite coalesced. Um, then there is a ping moment. And at that moment, I start really focusing on thinking about the book. And then probably in a couple of years after that, I'll start writing it. Mm -hmm. But I only write one book at a time um, because I'm writing it in the voice of the protagonist or the protagonists in it or that time and that place. Um, so, look, it's also, I would advise, don't write a diary. Um, don't, don't have 60 pen friends. Um, if you can, don't, don't earn your living writing press releases for... Um, for a politician, um, <laughs> it's far easier just to write in one voice, your voice and the voice that is needed for the book. Um, I did for a very short period write press releases for politicians in the public service for about two years. And it was interesting, those are the two years in my life, I really didn't write anything worthwhile or anything interesting. Um, I wasn't writing in my voice, I was writing in public service service ease um, mm. if you can and i know maybe you can't afford it but if you can just write in that one voice till you finish the book 
So you've got to finish the book. That's that's interesting advice too. You've got to get to the end of these books before you move on to the next one. I like that advice. While we're talking about the feedback, Jackie, I wanted to talk to you about um, how do you deal with feedback from a publisher? Uh, is that do you have have you come up with techniques to deal with feedback from publishers across the uh, the writing journey? That's that's a short one, so I'll just go back to the other one. I usually write the ending of the book first. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It is so easy to start a book and think I've got a great idea for a book, and then it tails off midway. If you've written the ending of the book, you have to know what the book is about, where the characters are going. Now, I almost invariably change the ending um, because, of course, I keep thinking about it as I write it. I write the ending first, I write the vivid bits first, and I only ever write one scene a day. I never think I'm going to write a book today. I'd be terrified. Mm-hmm. Instead, every morning I think this is the scene I'm going to write and when I've written this, I can actually stop. Often I don't stop and I just keep on writing. Mm. But nonetheless, if I just say one scene, I can do that. I can do that. Then after three weeks, you suddenly think, my word, this is actually a book. Mm. Okay, feedback from publishers. Um, The editor is always right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Simple. Um, Very simple. Um, No, um, the editor is nearly always right so nearly always right that there is no point you're wasting time evaluating it and you may not come to the right decision. Um, They may not be a good editor, and I have to say I have come across a couple of um, not good editors, but then they didn't stay editors very long. Mm. Um, After all, there are a lot of people who want to be editors and publishing houses um, are very, very, very selective. Um, and I can't think of any, in the last 15 years, I can't think of any editors I've worked with who haven't been just absolutely brilliant to work with. They may not know how to solve a problem. If they say that, um, look, um, this just doesn't ring true, this doesn't work, blah, 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 the ending the ending flags, they may come up with suggestions how to fix it. Sometimes those work, sometimes they don't. But if they think something doesn't work, they're right. Um, If it doesn't work for them, it's not going to work for the reader. Um, Always obey your editor. Always obey your editor. Very, very good advice there, Jackie. (laughs) Some advice I could perhaps take uh, on board as well. Um, Jackie, I (laughs) wanted to ask you, um, uh, we touched on this briefly, so I'll just ask you this briefly about the promotion side of it. is that how things are changing the most, that you're expected to be a bit of a all-singing, all-dancing performer these days as an author? Or are there other ways that the industry has changed over the years and where it's headed? That was always the way the industry was. We've just forgotten. We forget that actually Shakespeare was acting in his own plays and, and, and bringing in performing bears to try and get the audience in. We forget <laughs> that Dickens would go on tours and read his books with great drama. Um, writers have always had to be publicists um, or been publicists, but not all authors have done that. I mean, Salinger was um, one one of the um, greatest examples. Um, James Tiptree Jr., who happened to be um, a female called Alice Sheldon working for the CIA and had to keep her her identity secret, even though um, he, she won award after award after award and was called one of the most testicular writers in science fiction of the time. Um, Of course, people have a lot of embarrassment when she finally retired and announced that she she really was our children and female. Um, (laughs) I don't do very much promotion, partly because I live in an isolated area, Um, partly because... um, even though I'm a good public speaker, I'm incredibly shy and I get terrified. Um, partly because by the time the book comes out, my brain is working completely on another book. Um, I Look, I also think I'm very bad at selling things. Before One of the reasons I was broke was that I was an orchardist 
and I found it very hard to actually ask money for my fruit. I mean, this was something I had grown with love and enjoyment and I'd seen blossom and grow in my garden. It would be like asking money for my children. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't sell books. Um, if people um, can't get it somewhere else and ask for a book, um, I will give it to them. I, I can't sell my books. Um, I, I find um, a talk like this is fine because we haven't mentioned um, the name of any of my books. I'm not selling my books. I'm talking to you. I find the actual process of actually trying to brainwash people into saying, buy this book, buy this book. Um, and it's probably easier just to try and hypnotise them on the screen to, <laughs> to, to go out and visit. Um, uh, so look, I think I've really just come up with all sorts of excuses why I don't market my books. I should market my books. Um <laughs> I feel often very guilty um, for the publishers that I don't I don't market my books. Um, look, I do I do do some social media, though that's mostly about wombats. <laughs> it was supposed to be about but the wombats crept in, so they they took over from the book. We um, love the wombats. I, I do love watching the wombats. <laughs> I do go to schools, I do go to literary festivals, though I often find myself talking about other people's books there rather than my own. Um, I, I'm, I'm really just not a good salesperson. Um, I, I, maybe, maybe I should actually say I don't like money much. Um, money, no, I'm serious. Money, money is like water. It's necessary. Mm -hmm. I do want money. And I do need money. But if you stay in too much water too long, you drown. Mm. If you get preoccupied by the money side of it, you drown. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. Um, that's what I really want, want to do. It really has been um, luck. Um, luck, kindness. Um, that's meant I've been successful. And a lot of hard um, work. Oh, and a lot of hard work. But nonetheless, I could have worked very, very hard um, and not got, in, got anything. Just as in orcharding, um, you work extremely hard and then you get a bushfire. Um, mm. Hard work is necessary, but sadly, it doesn't ensure that it's going to be successful. Though it's not going to be successful without the hard work. Mm. Um, having said that, though, occasionally there will be ideas, phrases, characters that will seem to come from nowhere and it is not hard work. There will be days when the words and the book just comes as though, in fact, it is already there and you're just transcribing it as quickly as you can. And it's only when you realise that your hands ache and you've been there for 10 hours and you really, really need to stop because your husband is asking wistfully what's for dinner. Um, <laughs> he should be cooking. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's not hard work. But the other one too is don't try to be a writer unless you love the work. The work I love most about writing is when I get to the editing stage, when the book is actually there and I can start playing with it, improving it. Realising this character wouldn't do that, changing the end. Um, mm. I love the work of writing. Um, if you just want to write stories, then just write stories. Tell stories to the kids. Tell stories to other people. They'll enjoy it. But you don't want to be a professional writer unless you absolutely love the work of writing, the rewriting, the rewriting, the rewriting. When the editor says, look, um, but we absolutely love the book. They always say we absolutely love the book. Um, um, but look, um, the ending didn't quite work and look, the beginning was a bit unbelievable and it really sagged towards the middle. Um, but look, we really love the book. Um, <laughs> if you really are a writer, you'll love that because you'll have known subconsciously that no, the ending didn't really work and yes, there was a problem with the beginning and the middle really did sag and they being able to put their finger on what is wrong with it and suddenly you know, right, okay, 
I know where I can go with this now. I can change it. I can actually create a really good book from this. Mm. Um, they found it. Um, so it's not just obey your editor. It's find extraordinary joy in being edited hard. Mm, um, sometimes like that. it has to be difficult. Sometimes it's difficult with a new editor because they're afraid that if they criticize my writing too much, I might I might get into a huff. And it takes a while to actually convince them that no, please. Um, the more you can criticize it, the more you can query, um, the more I like it. However, please don't query the historical facts if you've only just booked up Google and you don't have a primary source. <laughs> I like it. Jackie French has limits. You can edit her hard, but don't question the research. And I really liked your face then, Adrian, when she said edit, get edited hard. And you were like, oh, no, I'm scared. Well, find the joy in getting edited hard, which might be hard to find at times, but um, find I'm it like as... nodding, going, yes, yes. And Adrian's like, oh, this as is Jackie says, though, it will obviously improve the story. Look, mate, there is a reason why so many writers marry editors. Um, <laughs> a closer relationship even than your psychiatrist. This is where you have got a whole team of people, the designer, the various editors, and they're all focusing on you and your work and trying to make your work better. Um, it's it's probably far better than, than actually being emperor of the universe. Um, <laughs> so, like no, don't worry about being edited hard. This is going to be a heck of a lot of people focusing just on you. Oh, I like this. Yeah. So you can just change the perspective around and make it, you know, yeah. make it all about you. Now, Jackie, before we go, we've got one anonymous question to go, but just before you, we do let you go, I've got one more question about how things are changing. It was interesting that you said we've always, you know, authors have always been expected to, you know, create excitement, you know, with Shakespeare doing, you know, the bears on the stage and acting in his own plays. So that if that hasn't changed, what can you see in the next 10 years or so changing in the publishing industry? One has been self-publishing. Um, self um, one of my favourites, and I'm trying to think of a surname, um, Jodie, anyway, the St Mary's series. Um, a lot of authors are self-publishing, um, finding they have an enormous audience and they're actually being picked up by publishing houses after that. Um, there are also a lot of um, fairly mediocre or even poor self-published books. Um, I think that's going to increase. Um, there are copyright problems so that very, very cheap editions from overseas can actually flood in so that neither the publisher nor the author will get any money from it. And it is so easy to pirate a book. Mm. Um, and um, that that is a very 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 large problem where often more books are pirated than they're actually sold. Mm. So that and I can see that that is a problem um, getting getting even greater. Mm. Interesting. The rise of self-publishing. Mm. Very, very interesting. Um, Jackie French, it's been such an honour to have you on this Publishing Insider episode. You've given us so much. Pretty much every second thing you say could go on a T-shirt, I reckon. It's just been it's been amazing. So many great, great tips and such great advice. But we do end these episodes in a rather unusual way. Uh, we have an anonymous author question uh, from an author, Now, in this case, to an author. Um, and we will play that. We've disguised their voice uh, and to protect the innocent. And we'll play it to you and we'll get your thoughts on this anonymous author question, um, which I will play to you right now. Does every successful author have one lightning in a bottle idea and everything else is just an effort to recapture that magic? I can think of a few successful authors um, who just had one brilliant idea, mm. um, but they had enough sense not to keep writing more books. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, even ones, I was thinking actually ones like Dick Francis, who kept on writing about horse, horse racing and aeroplanes, etc. But even so, every single book was extraordinarily, absolutely different and could be read um, on its own. 
Um, so staying for the same genre, staying in the same universe, etc. No, they're 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 different ideas. After all, we do live in one in one reality, and yet things are things are always changing. So an author who has got one really really workable, wonderful universe um, still needs at least three billion ideas within that universe to keep on writing. Amazing. Jackie, we can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, I know um, you have lots of writing to do, but I really appreciate you coming on and just answering so candidly and just giving us these in-depth answers. And like Adrian said, so much wisdom within every sentence, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, how am I going to promote this episode? There's like so many great sound bites. So thank you so much, Jackie, for coming on again to the Words and Nerds podcast and sharing all of your wisdom. It's a pleasure and I hope I suddenly don't wake up at 2am regretting I have actually said something which has offended someone terribly. <laughs> no, no, I think I think everyone is going to be really, really appreciative of all the of all the generous knowledge that you've shared. It's been really, really interesting. So thank you so much for for helping everyone who's on this uh, on this path to writing. It's been it's been great to chat with you in this episode. Thank you, Jackie. You yes. mentioned the path to writing. Some of my favorite authors haven't started publishing till their 50s or their 60s or their 70s. Often the greater the writer, the more ambitious they are being and the longer it takes to find their voice. Mm. Um, never feel that you have failed if you have been writing for six years or 10 years or even 20 years and it actually hasn't worked. Um, it is a path. Some people reach it fairly early, but often the greatest take much, much more time to reach them. Such great what, advice. What it's a never wonderful way to end. Never too late. I think that's very inspiring. Thank you so much. As always, Jackie, it's such a pleasure and an honour to have your time on the podcast. <laughs> no, absolute joy. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie.